Good morning. How are y'all doing this morning? Lights. All right, now you can see me. Hey, it's good to be with you. Uh, last week, you probably heard, uh, if you were here, Paul talk about our recent staff outing at uh, Katiwi Archery Range. How many of you have ever shot a bow and arrow? Raise your hand. Oh, wow, lots of you. Okay. Well, for me, this was a brand new experience. It may be a surprise to some of you. But uh, Paul showed a few photos. He showed a couple photos. I think I'd like to show a couple photos of my own this morning. So uh, let me remind you, this is my first time ever shooting a bow and arrow. First time, okay? And I don't want to boast here, but I must say I dominated the competition. <laughs> wasn't even close. Wasn't even close. Look at that. Form. Okay, now, whoa, what is that, folks? <laughs> that, my friends, what you're looking at there is a bullseye, a dead-on, right-on-the-mark bullseye shot by none other than moi. Thank you. Thank you. So, just for the record, there's the goofy Kevin. Uh, just for the record, uh, I am your Genesis Church Staff Archery Champion. I've been awarded the Robin Hood Best Performance Award. I just gave myself that right now. And uh, I've been so inspired, I was so inspired by this experience that I decided I'm going to start a little side hustle in the evenings, all right? I'm, uh, I'm going to start robbing from the rich and giving to the poor, you know what I mean? Just for fun. So not only am I the best archer on staff, I think I'm also the funniest pastor on staff. Okay, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, all joking aside. Uh, that day, I was reminded of a simple but powerful life lesson. Your aim is everything. Your aim in life is everything. If your aim is off, you're going to miss the target. Do you ever wonder if your aim is off? I mean, do you ever wonder if you are aiming your life at the right target, if you are heading in the right direction? I think about this often. A few years ago, I started asking myself the question, what am I aiming my life at? And whether we realize it or not, all of us are aiming our life at something. The question is, what? The reality is, when we get to all of our, the end of our lives, we'll wonder, will we have hit the bullseye of our life? Now, the Bible teaches us the Bible teaches, here's kind of, this is why it's a tricky question. The Bible teaches us that all of our lives actually end at the exact same destination. Kind of from a biblical perspective, we all have the exact same bullseye. And that bullseye, that, that same destination, is the moment when each of us stand before Jesus face to face. When we look him in the eye and we stand before him and we realize he's real, and we have that moment with him, that's the bullseye moment. And so the question is, are you living for that moment? Is your life aimed at that bullseye? I think the one thing that you must do in order to aim your life at that moment, in order to prepare for that moment, in order to aim at that bullseye is to learn how to abide in Jesus. Today is week three of our series, One Thing, Learning to Abide. It was on the last night that Jesus was with his disciples, just before he's arrested and crucified, that he huddles up his disciples for one last message. He says, I've got one thing I want you guys to remember. Here's the one thing that matters most. And in John 15, 5, he summarizes it this way. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. But apart from me, apart from abiding in me, you can 
do nothing. Nothing of eternal value. Your life will have nothing of eternal, lasting value if you do not learn to abide in Jesus. Abiding was the one thing that Jesus wanted his disciples to do, and it's the same, the same is true for you and me today. And so our challenge in this series has been make abiding in Jesus your number one prayer and pursuit in life. Make abiding in Jesus your number one prayer and pursuit. We handed out this prayer card. This is a simple prayer that you can pray for yourself. It's a prayer you can pray for your spouse or for your children. It's a prayer that you can pray for your friends, for the few people you're investing your life in. And before we go any further, I just want to pause right now. I want to pray this. Let's pray this together. Uh, I want to pray this first for myself in this prayer. You're going to hear me pray for myself. And then I'm going to pray it for our church family. As I pray for myself, maybe you would join me in praying it for yourself. And then let's agree together to pray this for our church family. Father, I am so thankful for your son, Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful for this wonderful, amazing, simple, yet powerful illustration of the vine and the branch. Thank you for the one message that you wanted us to hear to you wanted the disciples here to abide in you. Father, the one thing I ask of you, the one thing I'm seeking with my life, Lord, is to abide in you. Would you help me learn to abide in you, Jesus? I want to bear much fruit and bring you glory. Father, would you help our church family? Would you help Genesis be a church of one thing? Help us to make abiding in you the number one prayer and pursuit of our lives. Help us to be a church that abides in you and bears much fruit that brings you glory. It's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. So last week we looked at how abiding in Jesus starts with abiding in his love. And Jesus said, in order to abide in my love, you must keep my commandments. John 15, 10 is one of the passages we looked at. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, Jesus says, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And we talked about how the greatest expression of Jesus' love for us is forgiveness. He died on the cross for us to forgive our sins. Romans 5, 8 says God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for you and me. And so to abide in his love, we must forgive others the way Jesus forgave us. If you missed last week's message, it was really good. It's really powerful. It's really essential to learning to abide in Christ. So I'd encourage you to listen to it on our podcast. But today, I want to approach this specific verse from a little different angle. I want to focus on that first phrase. In fact, we're just going to zero in on one specific phrase and, a, and really a, a concept today. Jesus uses this phrase, if you keep my commandments. If you keep my commandments. He uses that phrase, keep my commandments, a couple of times that night he's with his disciples. I want to look at just one of those exa examples in John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus says this, if you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, Keep my commands. Jesus, if you love me, then you're going to keep my commands. If we love Jesus, we'll want to keep his commands. Abiding in Jesus and keeping his commands is inseparable. We can't do one without the other. Keeping his commands is how we abide in him. This left such a lasting impression on the Apostle John that when he wrote his letter to his disciples several years later, a few decades later, he passed on the same message. And 1 John chapter 4, I believe, chapter 5, verse 3 the Apostle John, writing to his disciples now, decades later says this, in fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. This is what love for God looks like. This is how we love 
uh, how our love for God is expressed. This is how you can tell if you love God. You want to keep his commands. Now, the word for keep is translated in Greek as the word tereo. And tereo means to keep or to observe, uh, to watch or attend to carefully or to take care of. There are things in life that we must pay careful attention to, right? Things, things that we must keep a watchful eye on, times when we don't want to get distracted. When you're out in public, you pay careful attention to your belongings. All of us, to varying degrees, keep a, wa- uh, a watchful eye on our physical health. When you find yourself driving on the expressway in a thunderstorm, you don't want to get it distracted. My wife and I have four small children, and like most kids our age, uh, their age, uh, my children love going to the park. They love going to the park, they love going to playgrounds, and whenever we go to a playground or park, and it's really busy, it's full of kids, I start getting really anxious. Some of you parents can relate to this. The reason is because it's my job as their dad to keep a watchful eye on them and to pay careful attention to them. And there's kids everywhere, and I don't want them getting near my kids. And so <laughs> I, so I got to pay careful attention to my children. Why? Because I treasure my children. They are priceless to me. And so when Jesus says, keep my commandments, tereo my commandments, he's saying, keep a watchful eye on my commandments. Don't get distracted, disciples, in, your, in the coming years and take your eyes off of my instructions. Pay careful attention to them. Treasure them. Observe them. Put them in practice. Follow my instructions. Obey them, I think is the intensity which, which Jesus is telling his disciples. Now, oftentimes we can have a tendency to view God's commandments as negative or harsh. We can view them as impersonal, cold, rigid rules that we must follow in order to be good people. We can sometimes think of them like we think of government laws. In order to be a good, upstanding citizen, we must keep and follow the laws of the government. And if we break the law, we get punished. But God's commandments are... Uh, uh, more like teachings or instructions from a wise and loving parent. The Bible contains our Heavenly Father's teachings and instructions for life. They are designed to bless us, His children. They are given to us from our Heavenly Father with warmth and affection, with love and kindness. Now, how do we practically keep a watchful eye on or pay careful attention to our Heavenly Father's teachings and instructions? I want to quickly look at two Old Testament passages that I believe influenced Jesus and will help us answer that question. First, let's look at Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. God says to Joshua, God's speaking to Joshua, Joshua, keep this book of the law, keep my commandments always on your lips. And then here's the key. Meditate on them day and night. So that, why? So that, anytime you see a so that, It's going to give you the why he's just giving you the command. I want you to meditate on my words. Why? So that, here's why, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. So we meditate on God's word. He says, keep my commandments, and here's how you do it. You meditate on it. You meditate on my word, and you want to meditate on it so that, why? So that you can obey it, so you can be careful to do everything written in it, so that you can observe it, so you can put it in practice. And what's the result? I love this then you will be prosperous and successful. This is the closest thing I can find in the Bible to a formula. I mean, he's telling Joshua exactly how to bear fruit and live a successful life. Listen, if you want to be prosperous and successful in life from a biblical perspective, from an eternal perspective, then learn 
to meditate on God's word and keep his commands. I imagine Jesus studying this passage as a young man. Imagine Jesus come one day, imagine the first day Jesus ever comes across this passage. And he's studying it in the scrolls. And he thinks to himself, I'm going to live this out. I'm going to obey this. I'm going to put this in practice. Jesus was the better Joshua. Another passage I think Jesus lived out was Psalm 1, 1 through 3. The Psalms were the prayers and songs of Israel. Israel used the Psalms as a way to pray to God and to connect to God. Israel used the Psalms to worship and sing to God. They're the prayers and songs of Israel. So let's look at the opening words of the Psalms, the very first words, first few verses, and see how they instruct us to interact with God's word. Blessed is the one. Pause. The psalmist, the very first words of, of the psalms, blessed is the one. So you'll be blessed, you'll bear fruit, you'll live a successful life, it'll go well with you if you do the following things. Okay? This is the promise of Scripture. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates, there it is again, who meditates on his law day and night. I love this. That person, that person, that person who meditates on God's word, the psalmist says, that person's kind of like a tree that's planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Doesn't that sound a little bit like a vine and a branch in an illustration? Think that's, think that's a coincidence? No. This is exactly what Jesus had in mind when he was telling his disciples, abide in me, remain in me, and you'll bear much fruit. Now, why would the psalmist use an illustration uh, uh, and tell us to interact with God? A tree planted by streams of water. The psalmist says that person is someone who, uh, a person who delights in and meditates on God's word is a tr like a tree planted by streams of water. I think the psalmist is simply saying this. We are the tree. You are the tree. God's word is the streams of water. Meditating is the process where we sink our roots down into the Word of God, and that water brings us life and makes us fruitful. My wife would readily tell you she isn't the best gardener. And I want to preface that she gave me this illustration to share with you, so I have her permission. She would readily tell you that she isn't the best gardener. This past spring, she wanted to plant a flower garden at our home, and so she planted all kinds of flower seeds. But after several weeks, there was no real sign of flowers. And we have a neighbor who's a really good gardener, and she made her way over to our house. And my wife asked her, pointing at the ground where the flowers were supposed to be, and she says, do you think these seeds will ever grow? And our neighbor asked her the most simple but convicting question. Do you water them? My wife started laughing. And she said, well, it rains. My wife is learning the basic lesson of what the psalmist is trying to teach us. Just as a tree needs water to grow, folks, you and I need God's word in order to grow and bear fruit. And the process of sinking our roots down into the water of God's word is called biblical meditation. And that's point number one in your notes today for keeping track. We stay connected to Jesus. We abide in Jesus by meditating on his words. Jim Downing, who was one of the early 
leaders of the ministry, Navigators, wrote a little book called Meditation. And in it, Downing writes, the Christian who knows how to meditate in the Word of God has learned the first secret of sinking the taproot of the soul into the living resources of Christ. A fruit-bearing Christian, then, is like a fruit-bearing tree. He's referring to Psalm 1. In that the soul's roots are in contact with Christ, sharing his life and drawing the needed nourishment from him. Downing goes on to say, as we meditate on the word of God, the life of Jesus Christ flows out of him, the vine, through the word and becomes part of our spiritual bloodstream, the branches. And the Bible is the primary means by which we share in the life of Christ. It's the primary way we stay connected and abide in Christ. And so the goal of the Christian, Downing says, is to be a fruit-bearing disciple of Jesus Christ. Downing says in order to abide in Christ, we must stay meditating in God's Word. Now, let me try to take just a minute or two and make sure I define as best I can what biblical meditation is. Biblical meditation is thinking about and praying scripture over and over again so that we can know God, understand his ways, and follow his leadership. Okay, biblical meditation is thinking about. It involves the mind. You have to engage your mind in God's word. If you're just reading God's word, but you don't engage your mind and really think about God's word, you're not meditating on it. You have to think. Secondly, it's praying scripture. In fact, there's two words uh, in Hebrew for meditate. One of them, it means to think a lot, to think about. The other one means to utter or to pray. And so it's not just thinking about, it's also praying. And when we pray the scriptures, it engages our heart. And so we get our hearts and our minds engaged in God's word. And we do that over and over again. We keep coming back to passages of scripture and we chew on them. We meditate on them over and over again. We turn them over in our hearts and minds week after week, month after month, year after year. So that, why? So that for three basic reasons. Number one, we can know God. Folks, I don't know how you can have a close, intimate relationship with God without meditating on his word. I don't think it's possible. Let's go back to the definition, Judy. Now, we want to know God. The second reason is we meditate on God's word is to understand his ways. How can you understand the ways of God unless you study the word of God? And the ways of God are far different than our ways. And so we need to study God's word, have our minds renewed so that we know the difference between God's ways and our ways. And not only do we want to know God and understand his ways, we also meditate. So ultimately, ultimately, it's not to gain knowledge, it's not to gain understanding. Ultimately, we want to follow his leadership in our life. It should lead to us obeying and following an, uh, an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. This is why we meditate on scripture. This is what biblical meditation means. As if you need one more definition, the, the BibleProject.com. It's a great resource. If you, if you like resources, you're looking for some helpful resources, go to BibleProject, BibleProject.com. Here's how they describe biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is about filling our hearts and minds with the divine. Eastern meditation says you empty your mind. Biblical meditation says, no, 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 you fill it with the word of God. It is the practice of entering into the text by reading and rereading it out loud, allowing it to speak to us in such a way that we listen and truly hear it. We fix and order our minds around the text until key words and phrases jump off the page at us. We're going to get to this in just a minute. Then we chew on those words 
those words that grab our attention, those words and ideas that leave an impression on us. And then we begin to form more questions that leads us to deeper reflection, and that causes us to slow down and experience the text of God's word in such a way that it affects our hearts and minds with the love of God. This is what biblical meditation means. That's my best way in about five minutes to define what biblical meditation is. So here's what we're going to do. For the rest of our time this morning, I'm going to give you a very practical kind of training on how to meditate on God's word. And this is, uh, you're going to, if you want to learn how to put what I'm going to share you in the next 10, 12 minutes in practice, you're going to need to do two things. Number one, you're going to need to grab, oh no, I don't have it. I took it out. Oh no. Okay, on the info hub, uh, there is a SOAPS acronym, SOAP study guide. Some of you have heard us use that, uh, refer to that guide before. Others of you have actually used SOAPS in your personal study time. I'm going to walk us through that study guide. It's been a few minutes, but you can, uh, if you really want to learn this, okay, what I'm about to teach you, you gotta, you gotta, you're going to have to grab a copy of that guide. You're going to have to go home. You're going to have to re-listen to this portion of the teaching on a podcast because what I'm about to give you can't really be learned in 10 or 12 minutes, but I want to give it to you in a training kind of uh, way so that you can re-listen to it in a podcast in, future, in the future, okay? So let me just say this. Some of you have been meditating on God's word for many years, and you're saying, yes, amen. And what I'm going to share with you is really just going to be an affirmation, and it's going to maybe be a helpful reminder to you. Others of you, you're in the process of learning. You're, you're, you've been learning and trying to abide in Christ by meditating on his word. Maybe you've been trying it for a few months or even for a couple of years, but you've been learning and you want to grow in this area. I hope that this little kind of 10-minute lesson will be uh, helpful for you to continue to grow in that area. For some of you, this is a brand new concept. I get that. It's okay. You got to start somewhere. I was 24, 25 years old before I ever opened the Bible. Uh, I was really probably almost 30 before I really started meditating on it. Um, but I'm going to share with you what I've learned over the last 10, 12 years about meditating on Scripture. I hope you'll find it encouraging. And if, it's new, if this concept is new to you, I just want to simply encourage you, give it a try. Okay? Now, let's look at six steps to meditating on God's Word, starting with step number one. What's weighing on your heart and mind? How would you answer that question this morning? What's weighing on your heart and mind these days? For two people to experience a close, intimate relationship with each other, they have to connect heart to heart, right? I mean, for two spouses to connect, for two friends, for two siblings, for two people to connect, you have to bring your real heart to the relationship, and so do they. If you don't, you're not going to have a close, intimate relationship. The same is true in our relationship with God. We have to bring our real heart, our real selves to God. So what's weighing on your heart and mind these days? What do you want to talk to God about? Surely you have something you want to talk to God about. You're sitting here in church on Sunday morning. Like, there, you've got something you want to talk to God about. Or here, let me ask you this way. What do you want God to talk to you about? What's, what's going on in your life that you'd love for God to speak to you about? What do you want God's help with? What do you want God's guidance with? Is there something stressing you out in life? Is there a specific need or concern you want God to speak to? What are the desires of your heart? What's an area of your life where you want to grow in your relationship with God? Maybe it's a relationship uh, with, with someone that you want God to speak to. Maybe it's an important decision to make that you want God's help making. Maybe it's an area of sin that you want to overcome. Maybe you're wrestling with your purpose in life or trying to define what success looks like. Maybe 
maybe last week's message of forgiveness really left a lasting impression on you. And a week later, your heart and mind, uh, the forgiveness is still weighing on you. A recent example for me would be my motivation in life. I want to be motivated by love for God and love for people. I want love to be the motivating force in every area of my life. And this is both a concern and a desire for me, and it has been for about two years now. About two years ago, the Lord started convicting me and bringing to my attention areas where my life is motivated by something other than love. I'm concerned that I often have selfish motives, but it's my heart's desire. Oh, trust me, it's my heart's desire to be motivated by love for God and love for people. And so that's something that's been weighing on my heart and mind for a couple of years, but even in recent last couple of months, it's come back fresh and new. What's weighing on your heart and mind? Bring whatever's weighing on your heart and mind to God. Share your heart with your Heavenly Father. Have a conversation with Him. Prayer, in its simplest form, is a conversation with God. I'm going to give you just a couple really quick practical ways to pray. Number one, uh, write your prayers out in a journal. Write your prayers out. Like you're writing a note to God. This is something I've done. Many of you do already. It's just a very practical way to uh, help you pray. The second way you can, uh, really practical way, is take a walk and talk to God out loud. If you've never done this, try this. Find 30 minutes. Find an hour. And go take a walk in your neighborhood and talk to God out loud. Now, if you pass somebody, you might want to just kind of simmer down. You don't want them thinking you're crazy. Hey, how you doing? And then you keep talking, right? I mean, I don't know what people think out there. But... um, not that you're worried about people's, people's opinion, you know what I'm saying? That's another area of my life. <laughs> okay, back on track. Focus. State of the script. Okay. Find some time in your life to get alone and share your heart with God. Luke 5.16 describes Jesus this way. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. That's our model for prayer. Too often to develop the pattern in our lives of getting alone with God and talking to him. Share what's on your heart with him. Now, it starts with talking to him, but don't stop there. Let him talk to you. And that's why you open up the Bible and study his word. That's step number two. Study the scriptures. Study the scriptures. You share your heart with God. Now you want God to share his heart with you. You've spoken to God. Now you want God to speak to you. So go into the scriptures and see what God has said, uh, 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 has to say about that topic or concern in his word. I've heard one teacher say, if you want to hear God speak, open up the Bible. Now, if you've never really studied the Bible on your own, if you've never done this before, you may be asking, but where do I turn in the Bible? Like, how do I find a passage in the Bible that speaks to a particular need or concern of mine? I'm not very familiar with the scriptures. I really don't know a lot about where things are. How, How do I find out what... I've got a need. Okay, I've got something on my heart. Where do I go in the Bible? That's a great question. And the simplest way to do that is to identify a keyword and do a word study. To do a word study. Now, many Bibles have a concordance in the back of the Bible. And a concordance is a big list of scriptures that uh, contain keywords throughout the Bible. If your Bible doesn't have a concordance, that's no big deal. But, side note, I think everybody should have a Bible with a concordance in the back. If you don't have one, go get one. They're not expensive. Go find a study Bible that has a concordance in the back. That has, it's so valuable. I've been a Christian for 16 years. I've been in full-time ministry for 12 years. I use a concordance in the back of my Bible all the time. I don't refer back to seminary training. I refer back to the concordance in my Bible. It's a helpful tool. Get a Bible that has a concordance. If you don't have one, that's okay. 
There are several good websites out there. I'm going to give you one. One of my favorites is BibleGateway.com. BibleGateway.com. This is the website. Now, I was talking with a, a volunteer before uh, service started, and she said to me, I mentioned this to her, she said, I go to this website almost once a week. This is a really helpful website. You can go there and plug in a keyword. You see the red arrows? You can do a study. You can do a topical index. You can do a keyword search. Get in there. Learn how to learn the web, use the website. I typed in the word forgive, and it gave me a list of 121 scriptures, Old Testament new, with the word forgive. Go in there, write down some of those scripture references on a piece of paper, open up your Bible, and start studying them. Now, you might say, okay, when you say study, Kevin, I don't know what you mean. So let me give you a few basic questions. And by the way, these questions are on that study guide at the Info Hub, the SOAPS study guide. Some basic questions you can ask. What details stand out to you? You're looking at a passage of scripture? What details stand out to you about that passage of scripture? What are the key words or ideas in the passage? Who are the people involved? What can we learn from their example? What does this passage teach us about God, about his character, about his ways? What does this passage teach us about people, our nature, our sinfulness, our needs? What is, this, what is the message or lesson of the passage? Some basic Bible study questions that you can ask of any text. Some of the passages I've been meditating on and some of the passages I've been studying over the last couple of years in regards to my motivation are John 5.30. Jesus says, I seek not to please myself or to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. I keep studying that because I want, just as Jesus was motivated for life, I want to be motivated too. He was motivated to do God's will. I want to be motivated to do God's will. John 14.31, Jesus says, I love the Father and do exactly what my Father commanded me. Jesus' love was what drove him to obey his father. I want love to be my motivation. Philippians 2 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. These are passages that I've been studying because I realized I had a motivation issue and I went into God's word over the last couple of years and found some of these passages. And then I write these down and I come back to them over and over and over again. I just keep studying them. And when you say, how often do you come back to them? Sometimes it's, I may study, like for instance, John 5.30. I probably come back to that passage, I don't know, every couple of months. And I might spend five minutes studying it. I might spend a couple of days coming back to it, studying it. But these are passages that are lodged in my heart and my mind because I've been studying them for a couple of years because I want God, I want God to speak to me and I want to align my heart and my will with his will and his word. So, we study God's word. But as we study, we want to make some key observations. That's step number three. Make some observations. Okay. This is where uh, meditating on scripture goes to a whole another level. When you're studying some, uh, a passage of scripture, you, you want to ask the question, what do you see? As you study scripture, and some of you know this. Some of you, you've experienced this. As you study the passage, there are going to be specific words or key phrases that really grab your attention and leave an impression on you. It's more likely than not... Those key words or phrases is the Holy Spirit trying to take God's word and he's trying to speak to you. Maybe it's a key word or phrase that provokes a question or triggers a thought or stirs an emotion on you. Consider writing down those words and phrases that you study. Oftentimes, this is the Holy Spirit bringing revelation. Psalm 119 verse 18 says this, Open my eyes, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law, in your word. Revelation is the opening of our spiritual eyes so that we can see something in God's word that we couldn't previously see. 
Imagine that you're in a dark room on a bright sunny day and the curtains are closed and it's pitch black and you can't see anything. But someone goes to the window and they pull back the curtains and the sunlight comes flooding into the room, illuminating the room so that now you can see what you previously could not see. This is how the Holy Spirit brings spiritual revelation to our hearts and minds. And it's so fun when he does it. When we study God's word and we pray God's word, the Holy Spirit will illuminate certain passages of scripture for us. And usually it's a key word or phrase. And when the Holy Spirit highlights a key word or phrase, we need to pay close attention to it. We need to watch it with careful, uh, give watchful care to it. We need tereo to keep those passages. Because it's oftentimes, not always, but it's oftentimes the Lord speaking to us. Now, in the moment when you're studying, you may not realize whether or not it's the Lord speaking to you. But you follow the train of thought. And usually, hearing the Lord's voice is a hindsight issue. You usually, in hindsight, a few days, a few weeks later, you look back and go, wow, that passage that I was studying, sure enough, it was speaking to me. Sometimes, though, you know right in the moment because it is addressing a specific issue or circumstance that you're facing right then and there, and you know the Lord's speaking to you. So those key words or phrases, here we go, that God gives us from his word is called rhema. I want you to say it with me, rhema, on the count of three. One, two, three, rhema. Okay, that was kind of weak. Let's try it again. One, two, three, rhema. Listen, you've got to understand this. I, am, um, I did not know what I'm about ready to teach you until a few years ago. And it's totally changed how I understand the role of meditating on Scripture. Most people don't realize there are two Greek words used to describe God's word. Logos and rhema. Logos is the written word of God. So this is the Bible, Old Testament and New, from beginning to end, this is the Logos. This is the written word of God. There are written words on these pages. This is the Logos, okay? Most people are familiar with that. But Rhema is when the Holy Spirit takes a portion of the written word of God and speaks it to us directly and personally and addresses our specific need or circumstance. This is rhema. Let me show you a few, just a couple examples of this. First, in John chapter 15, verse 7. Now, keep in mind, uh, this, there we go. All right. Now, keep in mind, Jesus has said, abide in me. Uh, apart from me, you can do nothing. In verse 5, and then we're going to get to verse 7, he says this. If you, if you abide in me and my rhema, abides in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus doesn't say, and he could have if he wanted to, and my logos abides in you. He doesn't say that. What he says is when my rhema abides in you. See, getting the rhema, receiving rhema for your, from your heavenly father via the Holy Spirit through the word of God is essential to learning how to abide in Christ. You've got to get the rhema. Let's look at another example. Back in John chapter 6, verse 63. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Listen to what he says. It is the spirit, Jesus says to his disciples, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The rhema that I have spoken to you, our spirit and life. He doesn't say the logos. Jesus didn't get with his disciples, spend three and a half years walking them through Old Testament, through the whole Old Testament and systematically teach them everything in the logos so they knew in the head knowledge everything they needed to know. That's not what Jesus did. He walked with his disciples, he loved them, he prayed for them, he meditated on God's word himself, and as God led through the Holy Spirit, Jesus took the words, the passages, the key verses, and he gave them to his disciples, and it was the rhema. And he wants to do the same thing to us. He wants to do the same thing for us. 
God takes his written word, the Logos, and like a loving father who knows exactly what you need to hear, exactly what you need for correction or encouragement, for guidance and direction, he gives you a specific word or phrase, personally applying it to your specific circumstances. This is rhema. We study the Logos, but we look for and listen for the rhema. And once we get the rhema, that's the words we meditate on. Those are the words we chew on. Those are the words that we actually are to obey, which leads to step number four, an action step of obedience. So you, you say, okay, God, here's what's going on in my heart and my mind. I'm going to go into the scriptures. I'm going to see what you've already written in your Logos about this. And as I study it, I'm going to look and listen. I'm going to make some observations. I'm going to look and listen for the rhema. What's the key word or phrase you're going to give me? And then when you give it to me, I'm going to respond in obedience to it. Because Jesus says in John 15, 7, if you abide in me, if you keep my rhema, you'll abide in me. And so we have to take an action step of obedience. How might God want you to respond in obedience to him and his leadership in his life, uh, in, in your life? How would, you, how would your life look different if you took an action step of obedience? This, this is some, some of the questions on our SOAPS study guide. God often calls us, to, calls us to obey in specific circumstances that are unique to our personal life. And so obedience always kind of looks different because it's based on our own personal life. But generally speaking, there are four basic ways to obey. And again, this is on the study guide. There, is there a sin to avoid or repent of? Is there a sin to avoid or repent of? That's, it's, it's a big umbrella uh, that God will speak to us about. Is, is there a truth to believe by faith? Is there an example to follow? Is there a relational skill to practice? Again, that's on the study guide. Regardless of how you obey, obey, obey. When you obey, you'll see fruit in your life. When you respond in obedience to the words God gives you, you'll bear fruit. Now, another step you can take is to pray the scriptures. That's step number five. Pray, 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 pray. Uh, write down those ramas. Keep a record of them. I like to keep a prayer list, but the reality is it's really just a list of scriptures that God has spoken to me over the years. Several months back, I made a list of dozens of rhemas God has spoken to me. I, I, just, I just thought that I, wanna, I, was, I was wanting to give him thanks and praise for all the ways he's loved me and he takes care of me. And I just felt prompted at that moment to start writing down all of the passages of scripture that throughout the last 15 years the Lord has given me. And I didn't get them all down, but I had probably a couple dozen just right, came right to mind. All these passages that the Lord, through studying, has taken his written word, the Logos, and has given me a rhema. And it was exactly what I needed for sometimes correction, sometimes encouragement, sometimes direction. Write those scriptures down and then begin to pray them. Those things, those scriptures have become my prayer guide. You, if you were to sit down with me over a cup of coffee and say, well, what do you pray about? I'd pull out a scripture list and I'd say, well, I pray about these things that God has spoken to me because they become your conversational material in your relationship with God. Lastly, number six, share. SOAPs, see the acronym there? You like that? Okay, talk about these scriptures with others. Share, these, share the different rhemas that God gives you with your spouse and your kids and your friends. Let me just pause right here. Parents, parents, if you have children in your home still, and this is true even if you don't have children in your home, but especially if you have children in your home, do you want me to tell you how you, you, you should parent your children? I'm going to tell you right now how you should parent and how you should disciple your children. Number one, you need to abide in Christ. And you need to meditate on his word. And God is going to give you rhema as you meditate on his word. And then you take those passages and you take that fruit that God produces in your life and you hand it to your children. And you let them eat of the fruit that God produces in your life. 
this is the basic way we disciple anyone much, uh, and how much more importantly, we disciple our children. Jesus said this in John 15, 15, everything I've learned from my father, everything I've received from my father, he says, I made known to you. It's the most basic definition, I think, of disciple making and what a fantastic way to disciple and raise your children. Six steps to meditating on God's word. What's weighing on your heart and mind? Share your heart with God and go into God's word. Study the scriptures. Let God share his heart with you. God wants to speak to you through his word. So step three, make some observations. As you study the Logos, look for the revelation, listen for the rhema. Step four, take an action step of obedience. Respond to God's leadership in your life and pray. Pray, 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 pray. Take these key words and phrases that God gives you and pray them over and over again throughout your life. Pray them for yourself. Pray them for others. And finally, six, share. Share what God is doing in you with others. This is, as best I can, in about 10 or 12 minutes, how we, how we, uh, a lesson on how we meditate on God's word. If we do that, you do that, you'll put this in practice. I promise you, you'll stay relationally connected to Jesus. You'll keep his commandments. As we close, I want to bring us back to, that, back to the beginning, to the analogy of the bullseye. Whether we realize it or not, we all have a bullseye in life. The bullseye is that final destination when we're all going to stand before Jesus. And the apostle John wanted to prepare his disciples for that moment. The Apostle John was kind enough to write a passage to his disciples to try to tell them, here's how you aim your life at the bullseye, gentlemen, men, women, whoever his children in faith were. He says, listen, here's how you prepare to hit the bullseye. 1 John 2.28. And now, little children, my, my disciples, the Apostle John writes, abide in Jesus. It's the one thing his, he, he wanted his disciples to do. Abide in Jesus. Why? There's that so that again. Why? John says, so because when he appears, when Jesus appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. John tells his disciples, abide in Jesus. When you meet Jesus face to face, when you meet Jesus face to face, if you want to be standing before him confidently in that moment, then the one thing you must do right now is learn to abide in Jesus. Let's be men and women of one thing. Let's be a church family of one thing. Let's make abiding in Jesus our number one prayer and pursuit in life. Let me pray. Father, I am so thankful for your word. What a gift. I am so thankful that you love us and that you want to speak to us through your word. God, I know how critical that is to abiding in you. And so would you help me? Would you help us as a church family? Would you help us learn to abide in you? Would you help us learn how to meditate on your word? Because we want to bear much fruit and we want to bring you glory, Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen.